You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Deb Gabor, and she is founder of Soul Marketing. She's also author of Branding is Sex, Get Your Customers Laid and Sell the Hell Out of Anything, which I love. She's also author of Irrational Loyalty. And we're going to talk a little bit about branding, about loyalty, about how we can drive customer engagement, customer loyalty through branding, through strategy. I'm excited about this. A lot of great content, a lot of great ideas. I've had a chance to hear Deb speak a couple of different times. And so I'm excited for her to have this conversation conversation with me. So with that, Deb, welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm so excited. Yeah. So why don't we start with, well, why don't we start with a little bit of your background? Like, how did you get into branding? How did you get into loyalty? What what was the background that got you into this space? I've been doing this in some form or fashion for my entire adult life. I like to tell people that I was an accidental entrepreneur and that's because I'm a really crappy employee. Um, <laughs> Unemployable, as you like to say. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. It was like sort of manifest destiny. It's not that I have problems with authority. I just have problems with authority when it isn't me. So <laughs> other people, have you know, everything. <laughs> so everything was pointing towards, you know, me kind of having my own thing. So yeah. there's my career is bifurcated by the half that I spent working for other people than the half that I spent working for other people, but working for myself and my own services business. So I grew up in the technology industry, mostly working on marketing and brand and product management, product marketing, communications, you know, that kind of stuff for very, very, very high tech organizations. So Mm -hmm. my very first job out of college, I worked in Bell Labs. And this is germane to the conversation because this is where this whole branding methodology really originated. So if you can imagine, I worked at a place that was so high tech that the people who were working next to me, some of them were actually Nobel Prize winning scientists. And the nuances of making emotional connections with people, especially in a world where you're selling like super, super high tech telecommunications and data communications products, mostly to other providers of telecommunications and data communication services. So like the carriers, et cetera, the nuance of making deep emotional connections and creating meaning that moves people, hearts, minds, and wallets was something that was largely lost on a high tech audience. And so you know, through the process of, of working, you know, working at Bell Labs, and I was there through, you know, some really interesting business things that were happening to three new companies. And then I went to work for a number of technology startups, mostly on the hardware side of the business, but I worked in the services part of the hardware sides of the business. So I've always had kind of a passion for, for business. But these were these were companies that were household name brands in the technology industry, both on the consumer and the B2B side of it. And so I enjoyed that. And then I had an opportunity to to work for an agency 
I went to the agency side of the business. I did that for a very short period of time, running research and consulting, brand research and consulting for companies in the technology industry. Mm -hmm. And that's where I discovered I was a really, really crappy employee. And then in (laughs) 2003, I thought, you know what? There's so much value in what I do. No company out there that can constrain me. So I hung a shingle with the idea that I was just going to be an independent consultant. And then the next thing I knew, I had like all these incredible clients that were coming to me who needed the voodoo that I do. And I had to start hiring helpers. And then I woke up one day and I had a company. So that's, (laughs) that's kind of the, that's kind of the journey. I never set out to do this, but I sure am glad that I did. Yeah. Not, not an uncommon story. I think, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of people end up becoming uh, business owners, business founders kind of, yeah, accidentally or sideways, as I like to say, they kind of wake up one morning and realize they've got a, they've got a business going. Well, the common thread is that like the, my entire career has been, you know, in some kind of services, right? Like I, love the human aspect of the delivery of a brand promise. That's always like really, really ignited me. And I personally, like me as a human being, I'm on a mission to create a billion dollars worth of business value for other people's businesses, like other people's entrepreneurial ventures and things by helping them create that condition of irrational loyalty. So it, it suits me very well. So I love that you have your content is focused specifically on services businesses. Yeah, well, you know, it, and I think it's a, it's a sector that it's generally not necessarily easy to start, but it, you know, it doesn't require a whole lot of capital. Oftentimes you can, you can kind of get businesses up and running and services fairly easily, but they tend to be very difficult to scale. I mean, both in terms of, you know, figuring out the service model and, and really kind of process, you know, making that a process and figuring out how to scale that, but also people, right? Because if you're a service-based business, you're delivering value through your people. And, you know, unfortunately people are, you know, people are people. They're very dynamic. They're, you know, they're, they're mercurial. They, you know, have lots of differences. They, it's hard to make cookie cutters. <laughs> out of out of your employees, so you know, and it, it creates all these challenges. So that's that's really the, the you know why we focus on that here. Mm-hmm. So, so let's talk a little bit about branding, about loyalty. Give us some kind of grounding definitions on some of these things. When we talk about building a brand, when we talk about creating loyalty, what are we really speaking about? What is what is the topic? So when I talk about brand, I talk about brand with a capital B. There's there's big B branding, which is like the underlying brand foundation, mm-hmm. the strategic foundation of your business, the core DNA of your business. It intertwines really well with like the scaling up methodology because it relies a little bit on your core values, your core purpose, your mission, your vision, you know, the, the relationship that you have with customers. So that's the internally facing piece of that. But then you take that, it's a construct that's made up of the part that you own, which is the brand identity that I just talked about. Mm -hmm. But then the part that customers own, which is the brand image. And ideally, you want something where the brand identity, the brand image are completely aligned. A brand is the sum total of like all of those various touch points that your brand has with your entire ecosystem. So it's your employees, it's your partners, it's it's your vendors, it's your customers, it's your investors, it's your advisors. It's like the families of your employees, et cetera. It goes on and on and on. But the brand is basically how you show up. And I always tell people your brand is about them and it's not about you. And so like I encourage people who are listening to this, like if you want to really know if you're doing this right, go to your website. And if the first word on your website is we or your company name, I can tell you this for free, you're doing it wrong. So your brand (laughs) is about other people. And, you know, 
ultimately the promise that you make to them about how their lives and their world is going to be elevated through the use of your brand. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. I, and I think it's, um, I think the important part for me in, in that is this, it's, it's what the customer and the employee or the stakeholder, or the person feels. It's not what you want. <laughs> so, right. You know, you, you can want all sorts of things, but you know, at the end of the day, the brand is defined by, by your customers about the person receiving it, not your strategy. Yeah. I guess where do, and, and where do people typically get that wrong and, or what are the mistakes or kind of the mistaken sort of thinking or, or approach to this that, that most companies uh, misstep on when it comes to branding? Most companies misstep on branding when they spend all of their ta- all of their time and energy talking talking about you know their bells and whistles and what they think differentiates them. And brands don't compete to be different. They compete to be unique and they compete to be meaningful, right? Mm-hmm. And when brands spend all of their time talking about their speeds and feeds and bells and whistles and the lipstick that they put on the on the pig, mm-hmm. basically that's like selling an ice cream by saying it's cold and it's sweet, right? Or selling a car and saying it has wheels and a steering <laughs> wheel. And it sounds funny, but like I work with a lot of brands that when we first walk in the door, that's how they're marketing themselves. And so like, I always think about it in terms of cars, because it's something that people can really relate to. So when you buy an automobile, there are baseline requirements for the category, which in order to be considered, let's take luxury SUV, midsize luxury SUV, because I drive one of those, it has to have wheels and it has to have a steering wheel and a chassis and some mode of perambulation. It doesn't even have to be a combustion engine anymore, because you can buy a hybrid or an all electric car, right? And it has to have, you know, the things that are required by law for you to have. But in order to be considered a midsize luxury SUV, you probably have to have leather seats. You definitely have to have Bluetooth, right? These are the things that, you know, five years ago, if you went to market to buy a new car, Bluetooth was like this newfangled offering that frankly, you paid extra for. I'm old enough to have purchased a car where power door locks and power windows (laughs) were an option. I paid 400 bucks for it. I paid $300 for a vanity mirror. You wouldn't even think of purchasing a car today without any of those things. So I always lecture to people, if you're marketing on the basis of those things, those are those options packages that you think make your thing better than everybody else's. Today's options packages become tomorrow's standard equipment. And if you're trying to differentiate yourself on the basis of a feature or some functionality, then you're not creating a brand that is going to be long-term sustainable. The best brands in the world are the ones that become part of the person who uses them. And that's the essence of how I think about branding. Interesting. Give, give us an example. Can you give us an example of a brand who has done a good job of, you know, in, in general or for you specifically, has become part of you uh, more, more than just a set of features and benefits? I, you know, I'm going to throw out a brand here that's like a little bit of a cop out because there's a lot of people who love this, but I am irrationally loyal to this brand. And I'm going to have to say that that's, that's Apple and specifically, specifically the iPhone. I am so, so irrationally loyal to Apple that I've had like every eye thingy they've ever made. Mm -hmm. Um, cause you know what? I'm bad at technology. Um, my irrational loyalty, meaning like this brand is so much a part of me is so strong that a couple of years ago when Samsung came out with like a really, really awesome competitive equipment, which like it looked amazing and it had better performance, better glass, more durability. It cost less. I could get it at a Best Buy store. I didn't have to like go and wait in line at an (laughs) Apple store. And like, God forbid, I should have to spend more than 30 seconds in an Apple store because it makes me twitchy. Like all of those kinds of things. When I got in there and I held it and I looked at it and I saw all the features and functionality, it seemed like it completely fit everything I needed. And it was 200 dollars less and I, you know, and I could get it. It was very, very available. Yet when I held it in my hand, as beautiful and amazing as it was, I felt dirty. 
and <laughs> meaning that like, like I'm like I you're can't cheating. You were cheating on Apple. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Like, so this notion of irrational loyalty, the best brands in the world create this feeling of irrational loyalty. This idea that the brand is so indispensable to the user that the user would feel like they were cheating on it if they were to choose something else. Yeah. Right. And you know, it's the same reason why every time like I've moved in Austin. I live in Austin. I've been here for like 22 years. Like I've moved in Austin like four times. It's the same reason why every Every time I move, I use the same moving company. Like mm. I'm irrationally loyal to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's the same reason why when I when I book when I book hotels, I look for my favorite hotel chains and I and I try all the time to stay in the same place. I feel like I'm I'm cheating. You know, I'm yeah. cheating if I were to choose something else. Even even if American Express gives me like 452,000 points to stay in a competitive hotel, I feel gross. Mm-hmm. And so that having that irrational loyalty relationship is what separates the good brands from the worst. So just to go back to your original question, mm-hmm. which was like where do brands where do brands mess up? Yeah. Like where do companies mess this up? They mess it up by not going far enough up Maslow's hierarchy of needs to make the brand part of a person's self-concept, like part of the person that they are. If you're selling anything, you want to have like Coke level loyalty. And what I mean by Coke level loyalty is like people identify as either Coke people or Pepsi people. Mm. It's the ultimate, right? Yep. Yep. And, and how do they do that? I mean, is this, uh, they, they sprinkle like powdered oxytocin or something on the product so that when you touch <laughs> them that you creates a chemical reaction. I mean, how do, you, how do you create that kind of, that kind of thinking, that kind of bond, that kind of emotional reaction, emotional connection to the brands? So there's, there's a couple things. The first thing they do is that they aim their brand at an ideal archetypal customer. We call this the ideal customer archetype. And I think in the scaling up methodology, they talk about the core customer. Mm-hmm. Um, this goes beyond the core customer. Like I, like I work with tons of companies who are, you know, who have coaches and who go through this process. And, you know, we, we have a business coach and, you know, we, we're working on the seven strata strategy and, and the scaling up methodology as well. So I know it very, very well, but I also know like where it stops and branding begins. And so this idea of identifying a core customer is actually creating not just a demographic or firmographic picture of like, who is a good customer for your business, but who is the singular customer for whom this business is built, right? 100% lock, stock and barrel. Like this is who this brand is for and creating an actual, like a, like a picture that's, that goes into, you know, hopes, fears, dreams, desires, wants, needs. What do they look like? What do they drive? What kind of shoes do they wear? Where do they live? Where do they go on vacation? What's most important to them? What makes them feel sexy? Like getting inside their head and taking a walk in their shoes to understand, you know, ultimately who is this person and what what are they trying to create for their lives? Not just through the use of your brand, but just in life in general. So that's the first piece. Figure out who is your ideal archetypal North Star customer, because I'm not really sure who said this, but they always say, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it with amazing accuracy 100% of the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. And so my clients actually draw this. Like I make them put pen to paper and we yeah, do it as a I group and I make them draw a picture of their crazy ideal customer. And, you know, the very, very creatively advanced ones actually make infographics out of them or make life-size cardboard cutouts that they bring to their meetings. But it, it humanizes the brand, right? And then the second piece really is is kind of the core of the whole 
thinking about strategic brand branding methodology. And that is once you know who that person is, answer these three questions. If you do nothing else in branding, do this. The first question is, what does it say about that person that they use this brand? What does it say about them that they hire this plumber? What does it say about them that they fly this airline? What does it say about them that they hire, you know, this CPA for their business or they use this software or whatever? What does it say about them? That's where you take the brand and turn it away from you and turn it on to customers. And that that's really the self-expressive benefits. What does it say about me that I'm an iPhone enthusiast versus like, I feel like I'm cheating on Apple if I were to use a Samsung. I can tell you. You know, uh, one of my coworkers, he uses an Android phone and every time he texts me and I see that green bubble come up, <laughs> it like gives me a weird feeling, right? You're, you're, you're uh, co-fraternizing uh, with the enemy here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's irrational, isn't it? Yeah. It's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. The second question that we want you to answer about that ideal customer is what is the singular thing that your customer gets from you that they can't get from anyone else? This is the hardest question to answer and it's the most important. It's the one where I make all my money because this is the one where you actually have to go out and you have to do some digging and you have to do some asking and you have to do some discovery and you have to be willing to hear some things that maybe maybe yeah. don't make you feel good. Yeah. Um, but you know, figure out what is the one thing they get from you that they can't get from anyone else. And here's a hint. It's never a feature. It's never a feature. It's yeah. always an essence. And I, and I know that this community really likes the Clayton Christensen jobs to be done stuff. Uh-huh. The idea here is like figure out what's the milkshake job that people are hiring your brand specifically to do for them? Like, what is the one thing, the singular thing? And then the third question, this is the hero question, this is also the sex question, is how do you make your customer the hero in their own story? It requires you to understand what is their story and what's your promise to them. So they get to get a sidekick in this process of life and your brand is that sidekick for that particular category. How do you make them the hero? They get to be the protagonist. They get to win. They get the guy, they get the girl at the end. You know, Mm -hmm. they get the big on-screen kiss and get to walk away into the sunset. Like, how do you enable that for them? If you do nothing else in branding, if all you do is like focus on that ideal archetypal customer and then answer those three questions, you basically have your brand strategy done. Yeah. Um, any examples? Anything you can you can kind of use to illustrate, you know, answering these three questions well or, or a, a brand that has done answered these questions well? Um, let's see. You know what? Let's let's do let's do an exercise. Let's pick a brand that you like and we can Ooh. we can kind of pick it apart a little bit. Sure. Uh, let's choose Patagonia. I'm a big outdoors guy. You know, I've, I've always felt like I, I pay way too much for Patagonia gear, but yet I still do it. Yeah. The goal of branding is to make price irrelevant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So who do you think is the ideal customer for Patagonia? If you could put your, if you could put your finger on it, who, who is that brand specifically built for? Is it a man, a woman, something else? Mm, yeah, I think it's fairly gender neutral. I think, I think there's, um, uh, this kind of combination of outdoors, but also, uh, sort of socially, say socially enlightened. I don't even think it's socially conscious. Like I don't think of it as like, you know, super, um, activist, but you know, very kind of practical, you know, look at the, look at the environment. How do our practices and, you know, processes kind of impact, impact the world we live in. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of my, my kind of connection to it. I think it's also, there's a, there's a performance element to it. You know, there's people mm-hmm. that, that want high performance gear, you know, that's not super flashy and techie, uh, but, you know, tested by people that are 
in the community, like real climbers, real adventures, adventurers, you know, these, these products have been to the tops of mountains to the, you know, in, in the most remote parts of the world, you like that kind of feeling. That's what I was. Yeah. So you're not necessarily climbing Mount Everest tomorrow, but you could, right. You know, if you're in your Patagonia gear. And so I I think that you're a hundred percent right there. You know, one of the things I notice about your description, you are, you're like a straight A student of this. And also, you know, I know you've heard this before (laughs) from me and, and, you know, you've worked in and around this a lot, but it's very astute of you to observe, like, these are some of the human characteristics of the person who uses this. This is what they're like. And it's interesting. You talked a lot about beliefs and values, didn't you? Yeah. You know, like this is somebody who, you know, who, who values uh, the, the environment. These are also people because Patagonia also really values like sustainable business practices, mm-hmm. the circular economy. They also value, you know, rights for workers. Yeah. They, they don't want to devalue their brand by selling it on Amazon. There's a lot of things here. People who align with that brand are the ideal customer. So it's this very principled outdoor person. Maybe they're not like, I don't think that their ideal customer is like a hardcore outdoors high performance person. It really is the normal people like you and me who like to get outside, right? Mm -hmm. And who have all these values. So that's, that's the ideal customer. So then let's ask the question. You like the brand a lot. What does it say about you, Bruce, that, that you, that you like Patagonia? What does it, what does it say to other people about you? Um, It's interesting. So I would, I would say that it's, uh, that I'm someone who appreciates kind of quality and performance, but also in a non sort of garish, flashy way. Uh, I think there is, there's a certain element of kind of practicality and like being Mm -hmm. out in the world, right? This isn't, it's not about fashion per se. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's about, uh, you know, having good quality that gets me where I need to go. allows me to kind of do, do what I want to do, you know, whether it's, you know, being able to get around New York City or whether it's, you know, climbing in the mountains, you know, it, it has that kind of practicality and, and functionality around it. Or yeah, it also, and, right. And it also says to me that you're down to earth, mm-hmm. that you're, um, it, it says that you're both reliable and adventurous. Yeah. Like you're a guy that is going to help me go on a little journey of self-discovery, right? Yeah, yeah. It's um, growing up you, in Minnesota. That's really what it's about. <laughs> yeah, right? It's right. I always say like people in Patagonia, that's all my Seattle friends, Yeah, exactly, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and and the brand image is like very, very different than say like Chanel, right? Yeah. If we were working on this for Chanel, it'd be a completely different story. So those are the self-expressive benefits. The second question, what's the one thing you get from Patagonia that you can't get from anyone else? So like you've chosen Patagonia Patagonia as a favorite brand. Why is it your favorite? What's the um, one thing? Hmm, interesting. What is the one thing that I get from Patagonia? Uh, you know what? I think there's a there's like this history element to Patagonia that I don't think I can get anywhere else. Like there's a there's a connection to, you know, historical climbing community. I mean, the founders were, you know, some of the first real climbers. There's there's history, there's uh tradition, legacy uh that I think I I feel with the brand that I you know, it's just not, you know, if I go to Hurley or Black Diamond or any of these other ones that, you know, they're, they, they have qualities, but they don't have the history. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, the, the one thing that you get is this connection to, you know, a hundred plus year legacy, you know, exploration, right? Yeah. It's, it's your, it's your way to be able to pay that off. And then the third question, how does it make you a hero in your own story? Like um, in the Bruce story, how are you a hero? 
Yeah. Well, it lets me go out and do those things. You know, it's, it, it reminds me, it reminds me that those are important to me. It reminds me that that's an important part of, of the activities that I do when I go meet clients. I'm often, you know, tacking on various adventures, uh, before and after these things. Um, you know, and it, it I think it's a, it's a, it's a little gentle reminder about what's important to me. And then do you, do you ever wear your Patagonia fleece or, or your, um, your puffy jacket or anything like that with clients? Uh, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. You know, even if we're not going to go climb a mountain, I'll, I'll put it on or I'll, I'll use it to get around the, get around the city or to travel with. There's, there's a certain, there's, there's adventure of being out in the wilderness. And then there's adventures of, of trying to navigate, you know, three connections on flights, <laughs> getting around the modern <laughs> society. Yeah. So, yep. Yeah. Awesome. So, so that's the essence of it. And so like this conversation that we just had right here, like, you know, working on a brand that's familiar to a lot of people, um, you can basically take the answers to all those questions, that description of who the ideal customer is to aim the brand directly at them. So you can say like, Hey, you can draw those people in. Right. So, you know, you're, you're not an adventurer, but you're adventurous. And what's important to you is that, you know, like when you want to get outside, you can, and you can, you know, you can pay homage to, you know, a hundred plus year legacy of, of adventuring history right here in your own backyard, down Mm -hmm. the street or at a national park or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you, you, you use that to actually create the messaging for the brand. I mean, it's really, it's a really, um, I, I always laugh at myself about how simplistic mm-hmm. the formula is. Cause I'm like, it's just this, yeah. right? <laughs> just answer these questions. Just do this. It's that easy. The framework is easy. The work of figuring all that stuff yeah. out is a little bit more difficult, especially, you know, if you're a, if you're a, a scaling company, um, sometimes you don't have the resources. Mostly you don't have the time. Sometimes yeah. you don't have the expertise. And then the final reason why it's hard for companies to do this on their own is ugly baby syndrome. <laughs> yeah. We're too close to it. I, yeah. I always tell people like nobody loves your brand as much as you do. Yeah. Don't expect that anyone else is going to love it as much as you do. Yeah. And by the way, if you're a founder, like it's even worse. Oh, 10 times, 10 times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. interesting. So let's talk about services. Cause I think that, um, you know, I've, I've always felt that, you know, one of the challenges of service-based businesses is, you know, you don't have a widget, you don't have, uh, you know, a software product, you don't have a thing that you're giving to the person to, to actually deliver the value. Everything is through people. Everything is, you know, somewhat ephemeral is, is abstract. How, wh- why, why is branding so important for service-based businesses? And, and to the extent that, you know, it's nuanced, uh, differently, what are some of the differences when you go to do branding for services? Yeah. Wow. Branding is so much more important for services than it is for any other kind of business. I guess the only other kind of business is going to be like a not for profit or a, well, even not for profit, but, or a product business, right? You can't see it, touch it, feel it. It doesn't have heft. It's not something that you can hold in your hand. And it relies upon the most unreliable aspects of our world to deliver the experience. And that's people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Which, you know, it's, it, it seems like it's counterintuitive. It's like much, much harder to brand a service than it is to brand a product because you have to worry about consistency and delivery. You have to worry about buy-in. You have to worry about compliance. You have to worry about like your product it is delivered, like your entire value proposition and your promise and, and essentially your product is delivered through human beings, which like at last check, human beings are the most irrational and ill-behaved creatures on earth. <laughs> or do we always say, that business would be much easier without employees or customers. Uh, uh, unfortunately, we yes. need both. 
Yeah, right. We need both. And, and so like in a services business, I think it's, it's doubly difficult. Yeah. And what a brand does, like having that solid foundation of the brand strategy that everyone is bought in on and aligned with and understands exactly what their specific role going all the way from the receptionist at the front desk to the person who, who, you know, is walking around after hours, like emptying our trash bins yeah. up through the CEO, every single person in the company needs to be empowered to deliver on that brand experience. They need to understand what it is. They need to understand like how do they deliver it specifically and they need to understand the consequences of not doing it. I always point out this is becoming an old story now, but it's still my favorite. I always point out the story of United Airlines of the last couple of years, mm -hmm. which if you remember back in 2017, they pulled that poor Dr. David Dow off an airplane <laughs> at like oh, seven o'clock at night on a Friday. I don't yeah. know about you. I travel for a living and I know you travel a lot too. Uh, yeah. If I'm sitting, if my ass is in a plane seat at 730 on a, on a Friday night, a $200 voucher is not going to get me out of it. Right. Yeah. And United Airlines, their stated brand promise, like that is like printed on their annual report and in, in all their materials, their stated band, brand promise is to be the most caring airline in the world. So <laughs> if, it's ridiculous, right? Yeah. If you were the most caring airline in the world, like you, you are empowered as that gate agent who caused this entire disaster. You're empowered to do not just the best you can, but whatever it takes to make sure that everybody who wants to be on that plane can be on that plane. And anybody who can be enticed to get off the plane and fly tomorrow or on a later flight is able to do that. She should have been she should have been empowered to offer a voucher of up to ten thousand yeah, dollars or two exactly. round trip first class first tickets to any yeah. place in the world. Yeah. Right. And so. When you have a brand promise, when you have a strong brand promise and you want to have your company, everybody marching in the same direction to deliver on that brand promise, specifically in a services business, you have to have your brand infiltrate your culture, but also like your behavioral guidelines, your job instructions, you basically have to operationalize brand. Yeah. And, and I think that that's the, that's the best example. The other example I give is I have a client. Here's, here's where you can use people and the brand experience like to your advantage where you can zig where everybody else is, is zagging. So quick story, I have a client, services business. They are about a $30 million uh, travel services company that serves like the rich and famous, like the 1% of the world. These are their, their customers. And we did a brand exercise with them. And one of the things we do, we do this exercise on brand archetype where we anchor the brand to a well-known storytelling motif, which is a character archetype. And they determined everybody in the travel industry is the explorer archetype, right? Like that's the whole industry is taking you on a journey. And one of the things that we learned through our research was that their customers, the reasons that their customers travel and the reasons that their customers use a service like theirs and pay several thousand dollars a year for this highly, highly customized, high touch travel planning service mm -hmm. is because they are very well aware of and value highly the transformative power of travel that once you travel to a new place and you have a journey and you experience new things, you are never the same again, <laughs> which any kind of brand that transforms things needs to be the magician archetype, right? <laughs> and how this, how this brand showed up, the magician archetype is like, we make things happen. Everything yeah. should feel magical. Disney is the magician yeah. archetype, right? And the way that they were showing up as a brand was actually as a sage. They were like, they were just bombarded 
bombarding customers with information. And the way they were handling travel medicine was very sage-like. So um, have you ever traveled to a place where you had to get shots before you went? Like yeah, place in sure. Asia or South yeah, America? South, East Africa, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so when you go to do travel medicine, the way this company was doing it, I asked them, I said, how are you, how are you letting people know like what they need to do for travel medicine before they go on their safari? And they said, oh, well, we take a bunch of pages out of the medical encyclopedia about dengue fever and yellow fever <laughs> and malaria, and we send it to them. And then we tell them, go get these shots. And so the way that they were showing up was very much a sage, which the answer to the sage is, you know, find the truth. It'll set you free. Mm -hmm. But these are people who want to be transformed by their experience. Yeah. And so this is a services company. And I said, I challenge you. How can you create a magician-like experience for these folks since you're about the transformative power of travel? Yeah. And they came up with it immediately. They said, oh, we send a concierge yeah, exactly. doctor to wherever they are. Any place on earth. And I was like, okay, great. And so recently they purchased a concierge medicine service. Yeah. So this idea of the brand and the brand experience and having it delivered by people, it like permeates every aspect of delivering on your brand promise. Like, I don't think that a services business can exist without a brand, yeah. truly. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about one other thing uh, important. How, from a leadership point of view, how do leaders end up kind of impacting or conveying brand and and where does this fall down and, and what can leaders do to be more cognizant of how their behaviors, actions are are impacting or communicating brand to, to customers and to stakeholders? Well, I can tell you this, that it's become increasingly important that brand is driven from the highest place in the organization. As the founder, CEO, the leader of the organization, as the leadership team of the organization, you own it. Like it is absolutely your responsibility. You own it. You drive it because you are the living, breathing embodiment, like the walking billboard for this brand, not just to employees, but to customers, to investors, to the general public. We have seen increasingly in like rapid succession this year, there was a record number of CEOs that have been dismissed from their jobs. Yeah. As of the end of September, I saw it was close to 1,100 CEOs had either been invited to pursue excellence elsewhere by their boards or by their investors, yeah. or they stepped back or were strongly encouraged to do so, right? Mm -hmm. And mostly because they either were behaving in a way that wasn't in accordance with the values and beliefs and performance and experience of the brand, or they were not valuing or honoring like what the brand values are and what the brand assets are and what the brand really is about. So, you know, I will only like my company will only work with with organizations where we have a relationship with people on the leadership team. I prefer it to be the CEO, not even the CMO. Mm -hmm. So not even the chief marketing officer or chief revenue officer. Like I want to get as high in an organization as I possibly can because the best brands in the world take root at the top and are delivered throughout the entire organization where where the entire experience is 100% consistent. I mean, think about it this way, like Uber, for instance, mm -hmm. like this is a brand that the brand itself has faced so much controversy, both because of bad behavior on the part of the founder and the leadership team in this like ugly sort of like bro culture that, yep. that ignited there. But also if you have one bad egg in the, in the dozen, like the one guy, the one Uber driver who opens fire on his passenger in the back seat, yep. like it's, it spoils like the entire 
the entire take. And it only takes one negative action from anybody at any level in the organization to take an entire business down. That day after United Airlines made their like little 140 character Twitter apology for pulling David Dow off an airplane. (laughs) Their stock lost in one afternoon, $355 million worth of value. Yeah. 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 So, and that was like, I can trace all of that back. I mean, I'm sure that there are reasons why that, that employee, the gate agent wasn't trained and she Mm -hmm. called security and all that kind of stuff and whatever. And she was a contractor. But the real reason was, was that one person was not truly empowered to deliver on the promise of the brand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think for, for the leadership, it just it magnifies everything by, you know, a hundredfold, a thousandfold, you know, if they're, if yep. they're behaving in, in ways that are contrary to man. CEOs, you own it. Yes, that's exactly. That's that's Radical personal thing. accountability. That's my, that's my mantra about this stuff. So if people want to find out more about you, about the books, about your speaking, about the work that you do, what's the best place to get that information? I think the best place to get that information, just go to debgabor.com and it's D-E-B, G-A-B-O-R, debgabor.com. You can go there. You can see information about the books. You can also, like, if you click on the various things that are book-related on that site, you can download free chapters from both Branding as Sex and Irrational Loyalty. Branding as Sex is like the how-to book, and then Irrational Loyalty is the book that wrote itself about the brand disasters of the last couple of years. Yeah. And then, like, there's videos up there, and then you can also ask to be added to a list and find out, you know, where I'm speaking. You can follow me on social media. I have a public profile on Facebook. Just search on Deb Gabor. I'm on Twitter, Deb underscore soul, like the sun in Spanish. You can find me on LinkedIn. I love connections. I love when people write to me. I love when people like want to just, you know, shoot the breeze about branding. Um, I'm literally obsessed with this. Like I can't do anything else with my life. So like bring it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Highly encourage people to check them out. I'll put the links and the, and the handles and stuff in the show notes so people can click through and get that. Uh, Deb, this has been great. Thank you so much for taking the time. Great insight and always fun conversation with you. Thanks for taking the time. Awesome. Thank you. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.